Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with trust in the Lord as we pick up in Isaiah chapter 31, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Shall we turn in our Bibles to Isaiah 31? Now, as a backdrop to these scriptures in Isaiah 31 is the impending invasion of Assyria. Assyria is the world-conquering power at the moment. Assyria has destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. Assyria has destroyed Syria, has conquered over Babylon. And now the Assyrian troops are moving in a massive invasion of the southern kingdom of Judah, having taken some of the cities of Judah already. And there is pressure against Hezekiah, and the pressure groups are seeking to have him to make an alliance with Egypt and to go down to Egypt and seek the help of the Egyptians against this Assyrian invasion. And so Isaiah is saying, no, your strength is in standing still and doing nothing. God is going to deliver you from the hand of the Assyrian. Don't trust in the arm of flesh. Trust in the Lord. And so as a backdrop to this is this pressure group that is moving towards an alliance with Egypt to withstand this Assyrian invasion. So Isaiah says, Woe unto them that go down to Egypt for help, who would trust in horses and in chariots, because they have many of them, and in the horsemen, because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, and neither seek the Lord. So he is pronouncing a woe upon them that would be seeking the help from men, and not seeking the help of God. Now, for some strange reason, It seems that we always turn to God as a last resort. It seems like the very natural thing for us to do in a crisis is to turn to the arm of flesh, to try to figure out how to work things out and and turning to the arm of flesh, turning to our friends and all, trying to get support for our cause. Instead of turning to the Lord and seeking the help of the Lord, So he pronounces woe on them who are ready to look to Egypt for help, to depend and trust in their chariots and in their horsemen, who do not look to the Lord for their help. May that be a real lesson to us. May we learn to trust in the Lord, for it is better to put your trust in the Lord than your confidence in man. It's better to put your trust in the Lord than your confidence in princes. 
Yet he also is wise. He will bring evil. He will not call back his words, but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help of them that work iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men. They're not God. Their horses are flesh. They're not spirit. And when the Lord shall stretch out his hand, both he that helps shall fall and he that is helped shall fall down and they shall fail together. Don't trust in the arm of Egypt. They're only flesh. They're not God. They're only men. Their horses are flesh, not spirit. The greater strength, the greater help is in the spirit of God, for God is able when he stretches out his hand to do the job completely. For thus hath the Lord spoken unto me, like as the lion and the young lion roaring on his prey, when a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice nor abase himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion and for the hill thereof. Now trust in the Lord. Don't trust in the Egyptians. Put your trust in God, for God is going to come down. And like a crouching lion on his prey. Now, when... A lion would grab one of the sheep out of the flock. It would crouch upon its prey. And the shepherds would all of them come around and they would start yelling and making a lot of noise and all. And, and they would try to scare the lion off. They'd try to get the thing all frightened and scared off by just yelling, making a lot of noise and all. But the Lord said like a lion that is on his prey, and though the multitude of shepherds make a lot of racket, he's not going to move. He's going he's to hang on to it. So the Lord is going to come down, and he's going to fight for Zion. God is going to defend the people. You don't have to depend upon the arm of flesh. We sing the song, The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Put on the royal armor. Now, here is an interesting little verse, verse 5. And as we have noticed in prophecy, so many times there is a dual fulfillment of prophecy, or so many times there'll just be, he'll be talking about a local situation, and this particular situation is the impending invasion of Assyria, and, and don't go to Egypt, trust in the Lord for your help. And he's talking about the local situation, but now we get this interesting little verse, verse 5, and this is typical of so many prophecies. Suddenly, it'll jump way on out and be speaking of a, of a future event that is totally unrelated to the particular local scene. Or it could be relating to the local scene and yet have a fulfillment in the future. And you'll notice this many places through the prophecies of the Old Testament because these men wrote things that they did not understand. In the New Testament, it said that these prophets really desired earnestly to look into these things, but they were hid from their eyes. They didn't really understand. They only wrote as God inspired them, not always understanding what they were saying. Now, when in the New Testament, you have many times a exposition from a remote prophecy of the Old Testament. There is a psalm that uh, talks about he shall fall and let another take his bishopric. And it goes on. And Peter 
picks out this one little verse of this psalm and he says it was referring to Judas Iscariot that he by transgression would fall and it would be necessary for another one to take his bishopric. So let's, you know, choose one to take the place of Judas Iscariot. And, and yet if you would read the psalm, in just reading the psalm, you wouldn't see where that related. Uh, reading in the scriptures the prophecy concerning he shall bring him out of Egypt. And, and the New Testament, Matthew, says that that was referring to the flight of Joseph and Mary to Egypt. Now, you read that in the Old Testament, and, it, and it's hard to pick out. But yet, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the commentaries of the New Testament help us to understand the prophecies of the Old. I believe that this is possibly one of those little prophecies that are just nuggets here that are thrown in and had a future fulfillment for in 1917, when the Turks were holding the city of Jerusalem, General Allenby came with the British troops, and they had set up their artillery around Jerusalem and were planning an artillery barrage to weaken the defenses of the Turks within the city before they made their assault against Jerusalem. Because there were many holy sites in the old city of Jerusalem, General Allenby wanted to be careful in the directing of the artillery that he would only direct it as much as possible against the Turkish positions. He did not want to just a wholesale destruction of the old city because you would lose priceless uh, monuments, buildings, and all of the past. So he ordered some planes to fly over Jerusalem to observe where the Turkish military locations were in order that they might direct their artillery against the Turkish defenses. When these planes came over, Turkish captain who was in charge of the garrison ordered that Jerusalem be evacuated by the Turkish troops. He thought that Allenby was going to actually begin to bomb their positions in the city. And so they evacuated from Jerusalem and Allenby was able to go in and take the city of Jerusalem without firing any artillery rounds, without destroying any of the ancient sites and, and the city was spared uh, the artillery bombardment as a result of these airplane, the reconnaissance planes that he sent overhead. Now, in the light of that historic background from 1917, you read this particular verse in Isaiah, and it stands out very interesting. As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also, he will deliver it. And passing over, he will preserve it. The city of Jerusalem was preserved from the destruction of the artillery bombardment of the British troops in 1917 because of these planes, the reconnaissance planes, that struck actually terror and fear in the heart of the Turkish garrison leader. So 
It's interesting how that here in the midst of his prophecy concerning Assyria, that he puts in this little nugget and that in 1917, whether or not it was intended to be a prophecy concerning that, yet it was so aptly fulfilled in 1917 when General Allenby took Jerusalem from the Turks. Turn ye unto him from whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. Now the cry of the prophet to turn to God. You've revolted against God. But he will defend. He will be your defense. For in that day every man shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your own hands have made unto you for a sin. They had created their own little gods. They had turned to idolatry, the thing that God had forbidden. They indulged in. And so it speaks of the reformation of the people. And then shall the Assyrian fall with the sword, not of a mighty man. And the sword, not of a mean man, shall devour him. But he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be discomfited, and he shall pass over to his stronghold for fear, and his princes shall be afraid of the ensign, saith the Lord, whose fire is in Zion, and his furnace is in Jerusalem. So here Isaiah is, of course, predicting that God is going to destroy these Assyrians, and uh, that they don't need to go down to Egypt or to depend upon the Egyptians for help, but that in reality, the Lord will destroy them, but not with the sword of man, but uh, God himself is going to destroy them. Now, it is important uh, for understanding of the prophecy of Isaiah to really put it in its historic setting. And so as a background to this area, you should be reading uh, 2 Kings again, beginning with chapter 17 probably, which begins with uh, the destruction of the northern kingdom by Assyria, and then 18, which begins with the reign of Hezekiah, and then the, the threats from the Assyrian uh, Shenikarib, uh, sending his threats against Hezekiah and so forth, in the 19th chapter, verse 35 of 2 Kings, we read, And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people in Jerusalem arose early in the morning, Behold, they looked out, and they were all dead corpses. And uh, Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed, and he returned, and he dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that Adramelech and Sharezer, his son, smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia, and Esherhad and his son reigned in his stead. So here the prophecy of Isaiah uh, before it happened, and of course then in 2 Kings you can read 
of how this prophecy was fulfilled. The Assyrians fell, but not with the sword of a mighty man, but with the sword of an angel of the Lord, who in the one night destroyed 185,000. Now, brings up the subject of angels, which were created before man, which are a special class of creation. They are spiritual beings. They have the capacity of taking on a physical form. And in the Old Testament, many times angels would take on physical forms. And we read where Abraham talked to the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord appeared unto Gideon at the threshing floor. The angel of the Lord appeared unto Samson's mother. And, and many times the angels appeared to people in the Old Testament, also in the New Testament. When Peter was in prison, about midnight, an angel of the Lord woke him up and said, put your sandals on and follow me. And Peter tied his sandals on his feet and followed the angels as the doors of the prison opened of their own accord. And the angel led Peter out of the prison and then disappeared. Paul the apostle spoke to the people, be of good cheer, when they were on a boat and were expecting to be shipwrecked and were soon to be shipwrecked. Be of good cheer, for last night an angel of the Lord stood by me and assured me that though the boat was going to be destroyed, there wouldn't be a loss of life. And so... The Old Testament speaks of the angels and said, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all of thy ways, to bear thee up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. So in some way, God has placed angels and given them the responsibility of watching over you as a child of God. In Hebrews, we read concerning the angels, are they not all of them ministering spirits who have been sent forth to minister to those who are the heirs of salvation. Satan at one time was an angel of God. He rebelled against the authority of God. There are indications that when Satan rebelled, that a third of the angels in heaven rebelled with him. In Revelation chapter 13 or chapter 12, he saw the dragon and with his tail, he drew a third part of the stars of heaven. The stars of heaven is a appellation for angels many times. So there is the concept that Satan drew a third part of the angels in his rebellion against God. They are spirit beings. They remain to us today much of a mystery, but many otherwise unaccountable phenomena can be explained by the presence or power of angels, things that we cannot understand, interesting type of phenomena. I think that much of the psychic phenomena is in the realm of spiritism and, and is in the realm of, of angels, not necessarily the angels of God, but those that have fallen with Satan from God. Now, when the angels fell, because they rebelled against the authority of God and followed Satan, God prepared a place where they are ultimately to be incarcerated. 
There is also a place of temporary incarceration known as the abuso in Greek, translated many times the pit or the bottomless pit. But their place of final incarceration is Gehenna, which Jesus described as being outer darkness, probably out in space beyond the light of the furthest galaxy. And Jesus declares that in the day when he comes back to the earth to judge the earth, he will say to certain of those who are upon the earth, those who have received the mark of the beast, those who have worshipped the false messiah, he will say unto them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, into Gehenna that was prepared for Satan and his angels. And so Gehenna, though it was prepared by God for Satan and his angels, those who have chose to follow Satan will also be consigned to that same place of judgment. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Isaiah on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Isaiah 31 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you and watch over you during the week. May your love and commitment to God grow day by day. May we each one consider what we are giving to God and how we give it, that we might render unto God that which is pleasing and acceptable in His sight of our time, of our service, of our abilities, of our substance. God bless you, in Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Sometimes it's difficult to celebrate the holidays like Christmas or New Year's Eve because of a recent death in the family or a sudden tragedy that's happened. And it's in times like this that we want to be used by God to bring encouragement, hope, and most of all, love to our family and friends who are going through a hardship. That's why I'd like to tell you about a book by Chuck Smith called When the Storm Hits. 
I'm amazed when I read this book that it's able to encourage and strengthen a person and persuade them to look to Jesus and not at their problem. It encourages us to be patient, not to lose hope, and when the storm hits, to get anchored on Jesus, the rock, and don't let go. To order a copy of Chuck Smith's book, When the Storm Hits, please call the Word for Today at 800-272-9673. Or you can visit us online to read a preview of the book by visiting thewordfortoday.org.